Hello and welcome to Movie of the Year, the only podcast that has the science and the screaming to unequivocally decide the single best movie of every year. I'm your guest host, Kate Dellis. With me are three panelists, all of whom are true voices of their generation, which I will note is not mine. <laughs> First up is Greg. Hey, it's Greg. I am glad to be here. Thank you so much, Kate. Happy to have you. Uh, Mike? Yes, I'm here too, and only mildly insulted. And Ryan? Kate, uh, I'm not insulted at all, and I uh, think you're doing a wonderful job so far. Thank you. That's a very early review. This is like as early as you could possibly <laughs> yeah. weigh in on how she's but, doing. <laughs> in all fairness to Kate and to Ryan's review of Kate, at this point, any host, especially a guest host, but especially a regular host, would have fucked up that yeah. intro. So she's crushing yeah. it. Like just lost yeah. a tooth for no reason. Hello and movies <laughs> to welcome of the year. <laughs> the only movies with podcast. Okay, so as host, I'm going to have to call for order. As a reminder, <laughs> oh, each <shit>. season... <laughs> Damn, Nancy Pelosi up in this. As a reminder, each season's movies are chosen by you, our esteemed Letterboxd users. The bracket is decided without consideration of awards won, money made, or personal predilections. So if you're pissed about how this bracket turned out, you can, and I quote, blame yourself, you Letterboxd slut. <laughs> Finally, this is a game show, so you boys will be playing to win. I will award you for points well made, for original contributions, and for how entertaining I find you. You three are but jesters in my court, monkeys to my organ. I don't want to be a creep, but these points mean way more to me than they usually do for some reason. There's something about the dulcet tones saying the rules that I'm just like, all right, I gotta fucking win. Trust me, I walked into this and I know exactly the dynamic. (laughs) And even though you just insulted us and said, you guys, you are all butt jesters and insult, I don't even understand. What is a butt jester? Um, Don't forget compliments too. Like if somebody says you're doing a really good job so far. That's a point. You could you could just oh give a point. Oh my god, that's so true. Ryan, that's why you did it. Uh so I'm going to give that one to Greg and to Mike. Son of a bitch. Yes, there you she go. Is there a you go. <laughs> Very good. So Very good. We'll dive into Mank in a sec, but overall, what do you guys think? Let's start with your obsequious little asshole Ryan. <laughs> I This movie has uh had its ups and downs throughout this like weird fucking non-award season i i think that it's flawed but overall i'm really trying to say that it's a good movie because it's flawed but good and not it's a good movie because it's about everything that i love and i just love it and i want (laughs) to hug it and squeeze it and take it to bed with me mike how you feeling uh yeah i think ryan put it well because he wants to be like it's hollywood and it's old so i love it i thought he and i would be more headbutting because i think there were parts that were fucking great in mank and there were Mm -hmm. other parts that i could only describe as mankish Mm. It really felt like at certain times Fincher wanted to be Wells and Mank, and it showed that well they did nonlinear, so I'll do nonlinear and be just as good with the big and thumb Buster. right back to him, and I'll <laughs> yeah. do it too. <laughs> and uh, you're, you're no, you're no Wells, Finch. That's I think that's maybe a little harsh. I think it like more than just hearkening to Citizen Kane as a movie. I think it made it more interesting to watch his journey from two different start points. And as he says, like, uh, in about Citizen Kane, like, how do you capture a man's whole life in two hours? And I, I feel like it did a good job of that. It was entertaining. Mm-hmm. I was definitely 
entertained. I wasn't always comfortable with the way I was being entertained, but uh, the dialogue was snappy. It was fun um, having, you know, conversations as the as the centerpiece to a lot of scenes. And it was beautifully shot. I thought the, the black and white was utilized really effectively. But at the end of the day, I felt like just a little uncomfortable with it. You know, I don't know. It, 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 it felt like... Um, Felt like a movie for dads or something, and like like you know, can't we just celebrate sort of an uncomplicated view of, of you know intersex relations? Like uh, it, it just. But that's I think that's the weird word is celebrate. I think that's like what this show could basically boil down to is like what what are we celebrating and what are we making yeah. fun of and what are we cracking open and what are we revealing? I because you can watch this movie and think it's all celebration or zero or somewhere in between. When we come back, we'll dive into the movie. This episode, we're going to discuss David Fincher's Mank. 1930s Hollywood is reevaluated through the eyes of scathing wit Herman J. Mankiewicz as he races to finish what may be the greatest film of all time, Citizen Kane. Taste buds, I ask you this. Shot in black and white and even featuring cigarette burns, Mank is made like an old ass movie. Shtick or substance? Uh. We're going to start with you, Mike. Ah, fuck you, Ryan, for thinking you're going to talk at first. Oh no! I just I just came a little, so I, I wasn't, I wasn't going to speak. Just the cigarette burns on the celluloid <laughs> burns. does it for you. I I think I like the gimmick. I I can only compare it to uh, another movie. Everybody went gaga over a few years back. I thought was pure gimmick was the artist. I was like, mm. I get it. You've seen fucking old movies, you hack. This though, he does seem to inject it and really appreciate what was great about old films, not just I can do it too. And like, I've always known Finch. Fincher's a great director and I'm the first person who said that, but in my head, <laughs> he's a great director who does one trick real well. And Mank made me shut the fuck up. What's that one trick, Mike? I, Juggling. I it's just, he, the way he juggles while saying cut in action is uh-huh. phenomenal. Blades, bowling pins, flaming torches. Uh, I, I think he's very good at character work and like he, he dives into your Tyler Durden's to your Holden McMind Hunters. Because I was going to say, if if he has a one, if he's like a one trick guy, I would think it's that he does these really weird camera moves mm-hmm. where he yeah. like sends the camera through a wall or he sends right. the camera through a trash can. And I feel like that comes right from Citizen Kane, which mm-hmm. is like moving that camera like a like a nut, like nobody had ever yeah. done but before. In, instead of doing that, like we don't see the wiring in a house here. We he does the old school fade that isn't just fade to black. Uh-huh. Everything's black except the lights, and then those also turn off like somebody's leaving the room. But see, there's this is a complicated question, I think, because should he, we pick an easier one? Yeah, yeah actually, make <laughs> good or bad, <laughs> uh, goodish. Um, he he. Like he does a lot of these effects that I think are like the cigarette burns are obvious. Like it, uh-huh. anybody he watching, he taught this, us what those are. Yeah, we only we, know we what know those that. are because of Davy Finch. <laughs> <laughs> and but and he uses a lot of deep focus. You know, it's in black and white, obviously, so that all feels like an old oh, movie. Man. Black and white is very. <laughs> you didn't notice that, <laughs> Greg? You got to turn your color down on your TV. I'm sorry. <laughs> I see gray in the dark. dark. <laughs> uh, but he also isn't like super dedicated to it i like it's the it's a widescreen movie even though that was not a thing back then you know uh the he uses all the tools he uses cgi whenever he wants Uh so it's i don't it it feels gimmicky 
But I wonder if that's sort of part of it too. David Fincher has me in this weird place where I sort of just give him all these benefits of the doubt and will argue for him in, instead of like think about anything. Um, uh-huh. And I think that maybe just doing this half-assedly like he did is not a cheat, but actually more commentary. Yeah, I don't think it's half-assedly. I think he's using all the all the tools and styles of the ancient times with all the technology yeah. and things we've learned now. Because at first I was like, okay, this is super old. There's those old credits. But we didn't sit through the credits for 17 and a half straight minutes like we would have in an mm-hmm. old movie that came out in the era. <laughs> he still started the movie. But it, but it was long enough to evoke right. that feeling. He did long enough and then it was like, but we're going to start the fucking movie. <laughs> I think Fincher, if he is anything, he's intentional. You can see that within any number of scenes. I mean, in Seven, there's a couple of scenes where there's like very clearly 15 setups, changing the angle of the camera minutely to represent relational shifts and and different dynamics. So in no world could I imagine that he's being sloppy, especially if he's doing an homage to Citizen Kane. So it's very intentional. I think the question is, does it work? See, I, yeah, I, I, he, he might be the least unintentional, right? I mean, he might mm-hmm. make PTA go like, damn, man, chill back on all of your planning and shit. <laughs> but I think the thing that Mank proves is that... And we've... I mean, we, we did a show about Fight Club. You know, I think that we could do this with a lot of Fincher movies is that he is an incredible visual filmmaker and like a good philosopher. Like he's pretty good at sort of getting his point across as far as like what he thinks about humanity. And Remember that, how we said Fight Club was basically alt-right club? And right. now that seems more <laughs> the case than ever. Look how fucking right we were. <laughs> but it's it, like the, the whole discussion is about Fincher's intentionality. Like what did he... What did, who did he want you to think is cool? Or better yet, if you think th- these people are cool, what does that say about you? I think it means you suck. You know, I think that you mean, yeah. I, I think that if you think that Mank is cool or the Zodiac Killer is cool, what the fuck, dude? That's no, he's <laughs> cool. He's Drew Carey's older brother. He's the coolest. <laughs> he tried really hard and he was able to accomplish a lot. And that's when I think shit falls apart is that, uh, we we're not we're supposed to think these things about bank but even fincher falls in love with his characters a little right. bit even when he's saying don't am i crazy for feeling like the sound in this movie was meant to be sort of echoey as if you were listening 1, to it and mm-hmm. so i th- what i think is interesting is he wasn't just going for like old time movie feeling he was going for sitting in a theater yeah and that's where the cigarette burns come from right and that's where the echoey comes from watching a movie which Interestingly enough, in 2020, just replicating the experience of watching a movie in the theater. Something we want so not, bad. Yeah. <laughs> like that, that's a pretty cool idea. Yeah. It was a, it's a, a nice thing in that way. My wife sat in front of me and was on her phone the whole time and then punched me in the throat <laughs> when I said, can you please get off your phone? So it really captured what it's like <laughs> to go to the movies. Wasn't it cool, Mike? Uh, hour one, the hour one through hour two, like the whole second hour of the movie, she just slowly opened a pack of licorice the entire mm-hmm. time. And we're, oh, I'm sorry, is this loud? While somehow stomping glass. Did you guys have the viewing experience where just for the last 35 minutes, somebody came in that you didn't know and sat down and watched the end of uh-huh. it? Even though there's so many empty seats in my yeah. apartment. Like, are, you, are you waiting for the next showing? Or? <laughs> this is very clearly to me a director who's obsessed with the history of Hollywood, as many as many great Hollywood filmmakers are. And so the the... There, he's recreating a lot. He's trying to get you inside of a certain headspace. 
How does this reflect the story that we're following? How does this reflect Mank, do you guys think? I think it's the perfect time to glamorize on the surface and make seem filthy underneath if you pay attention, which I think is his bag, you know? Like these these typically typically these white dudes who you think are cool are not. They're actually awful. They're actually the reason for everything being awful because they won't stop being white dudes. And it's not something that you get from Fincher's movies until you watch them again or turn 19 you know like (laughs) yeah i I think either he has become a more subtle filmmaker in 20 years since fight club or i don't know none of this seems subtle like i would i I don't think you put any of this in the category of subtle in and so when with tyler durden you could watch fincher fall in love with him and lose his point and Mm -hmm. with mank i think it's more subtle because you watch for the most part until the very very end all the characters who start yelling at Mank by the end of it are like, "God damn it, Mank! You old so and so! You've done it again!" Until he is the coolest guy I've ever seen at a party, to the point that people are walking out while he pukes on them. <laughs> uh, but it, it really that feels like, cool. <laughs> like even like Lily Alexander. I'm mixing her names. Lily Collins, who plays Ms. Alexander. She starts off fuck Mank, which is the right attitude, and by the end she's like, "Nope, he's great." And so that. It almost feels like in the past, Mank sucked, but by the end, shouldn't we be on his side? It does, I think, gets a little garbled. That is sort of why this got chosen, I think, is because I don't know if David Fincher wanted to become, wanted to make the new Citizen Kane, but instead was equating himself and Mank to uh, Charles Foster Kane and the newspaper guy, was it Hearst, and then also Mm -hmm. Orson Welles in that. You know, we think Mank and David Fincher and Orson Welles think that they're the good guys because they're bringing down these titans. But really, all they're doing is just fucking showing their whole ass every time they try to do anything. You know, (laughs) they're they're like, I don't know, their inability to just do something in a normal way doesn't take down any patriarchy. It doesn't actually do anything except for keep their ego at a level where they then they can go and fucking kill themselves. And the, the fact that it happened to. Orson Welles, the person who he who thought he was doing it to Hearst, is I think mind-boggling to Fincher. And Fincher sees I think Fincher's trying to get out ahead of it and either say, if I make Mank, that's not gonna happen to me, or if I make Mank, then I already declared it. So you guys can't get mad at me when I fucking show my whole ass because I made Mank and that shit that proves what I know what I'm doing. I wonder, <laughs> and I, I don't know enough about the, the Fincher family right. tree, but like because Daddy Finch wrote this, that mm-hmm. it feels like it might be a little Oedipal of like that's well, a whole Jack thing, Fincher yeah. is is Hearst. I'm the one revealing how insane he was. I think his dad's name was Finch. Finch Fincher. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the movie kind of went out of its way not to remake Citizen Kane. Like I I feel like he could have like pointed a lot more towards actually like remaking that movie. I feel like it's in conversation with it, obviously because it's about it. But I kind of feel like he, if anybody said, did you just try to make your Citizen Kane? He'd be like, no, that's that's not I, what I was doing there. I guess, and mm-hmm. I, I don't know if this is in conversation with or is trying to remake it, but the three things that stick out is how often Kane is in bed versus how often Mank is in bed. Towards the very end, they break the fucking fourth wall when Orson Welles freaks out and starts throwing glass. Uh-huh. And Mank's like, that's what we need at the end of Citizen Kane and types it up. <laughs> and then and at the end and then of he, the... he looks at the camera and winks and then Ryan Reynolds comes in and does the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> and that then was they weird. just sled away in Rosebuds. <laughs> and there has to be something to the fact that Kane is Mank backwards. 
right? I don't know if you guys noticed that. I think that's canonical. I've never noticed that. <laughs> yeah, notice. that. Okay, I must shut you guys up. No. <laughs> we're going to take a quick break, and when we're back, it's Rushmore. Rushmore. Welcome back. It's now time for one of my favorite segments, Rushmore. I assume we all know the conceit. This week's Rushmore is dedicated to the top bedridden characters of all time. Kate, are you sure you don't want to, before you dive in, give a fake history of the mountain forever and really just eat up a bunch of showtime? You're just going to dive into the actual show? He's making fun of us and not you. Yeah, yeah, just so you know. Specifically making fun of me, world-renowned for my wonderfully improvised histories of Mount Rushmore. Sometimes Greg will tell a story when he's hosting about how uh, four alien-planted seeds grew and mm-hmm. busted into a, a mountain, and we can see their faces to this day. And Michael will <laughs> be like, bullshit, this sucks. Fuck I just like the truth. That hardly rhymed. Um, I yeah, I love a I love a classics reel of old white guys. That's why we're here. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> that hurt. Uh, I'm sure it did. She manked us. She manked us real hard. <laughs> you got manked. <laughs> so so let's let's go, Greg. Give me your your best bedridden character. Okay. Well, there is. Should we though, only... like real quick? Should we talk about like? How much bedridden does this person have to be? Well, that's what I think. That's part of it. I think you gotta mm-hmm. you gotta throw out your interpretation. Like they they have to at least at some point be bedridden, and I think it has to be important to the story. But it has to be like look. Make if, your if we case. were doing like Rushmore of misers, and somebody said Scrooge, that counts. Even though at the end he stops being a miser. Yes, that would count. Mm-hmm. I guess because you know the very next day he's a fucking miser again. Yeah, he asked yeah. that little kid who got the goose as big as him for some change. He's like, wait, how much was this goose? <laughs> kid, wait, come back here. <laughs> Damn, dude. <laughs> All right, so uh, when you think of bedridden dudes, uh, you're probably thinking of Paul Sheldon from Misery. Paul Sheldon is a stand-in for Stephen King. Uh, Stephen King does a little trick that's kind of interesting, which is he makes his protagonists writers. Ooh, oh, because he's a writer. He knows what that's like. Uh, and Paul Sheldon's driving along, and then uh, he breaks his legs, and he lives in a bed for a while until he gets better, and then he has his legs cut off. But he spends basically that entire movie and book, Misery, being just all up in a bed. Which is the opposite of Misery. Uh, yeah, seriously, that sounds so awesome right now. Uh, did Paul Sheldon, 10 years, 20 years later, drive around in a van hunting down Stephen King for doing that to him? <laughs> Crash into him. Well, yeah, he wouldn't be very good at driving anymore. They did make a prequel to this called Young Sheldon, uh, but I have not had a chance to check that out yet. Kate, what do you think? Is that your your one that's, one and done? That's my submission. Yeah. Now you you say if it goes you, basically what you say now is that's perfect. Let's put it up on the mountain, and then I get a point. Or then... you say not good enough on the maybe file. I want to I want to hear I want to survey the crowd okay. and see kind of what. You don't want to get excited by the first thing you see and just give it a point? I don't want to blow my wad, as it were. (laughs) Why hasn't she been the host for the last three years? This is crazy. Everyone (laughs) has their own way of doing it. Some of us blow our wad as soon as we can. Yeah. (laughs) And some of her wives say they're more into that. (laughs) (laughs) I find that some people love it. (laughs) Just get on with your day, right? (laughs) 
Mike, what's yours? I think Paul Sheldon is is a fine pick, but a foolish first pick. There's one <laughs> obvious first pick. He is yours. He is mine. He is everybody's. Grandpa Joe. Oh, yeah. He's bedridden for 30 fucking seconds, bro. And then he hops out of bed and dances his ass right to that chocolate factory. This is why this is the Scrooge. Scrooge is not a miser for 10 seconds at the end of the thing. Grandpa Joe is bedridden for the first 10 seconds. All seven of Charlie Bucket's other grandparents were in bed the entire movie. Grandpa Joe is actually the least bedridden person as far as Charlie Bucket grandparents You're here to talk about Grandma Geraldine? You want her to be on this fucking mountain? Nobody will know what you're talking about. Rather than the guy who spends the whole time moving around is totally ambulatory, how about the other Bucket grandparents? This is bullshit. Only two of their names are Bucket, and so they're not all four Bucket grandparents. That's not how grandparents <laughs> I work. I think they're cousins, you're... Mike, okay? That was pretty common back then in Bucket times. I think at the time, at least, that much time in bed does count as common-law marriage, so I believe they all are in kind of a quad-poly moment Ooh. together, and in that sense, very much all of them are Buckets. <laughs> I swear, though, if you're like... 70, 75, and you're not Polly. Like, come on, man. <laughs> yeah, what, what are you doing? doing? Live life. What are you waiting for? Heaven? Yeah, come exactly. on. Get on the train, idiot. <laughs> There's no fucking in heaven. That's all for the hell. Yeah, people. dude. You should probably do it right here. now. Hey, Grandpa Joe, YOLO. <laughs> <laughs> That's why he drank that fizzy drink and made him fly. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty YOLO. He almost died. <laughs> All right, is Grandpa Cholo on the mountain, or are you still perusing? I I think that Greg's answer was elementary and half-baked, <laughs> and I think that I had a lot of fun, and it was quite playful of you to choose such a wholesome, bedridden character. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and give Mike a point. Yes! Ryan, yeah. do you have an answer for me? Well, I mean, the obvious one is Paul Sheldon, but I guess I'll, I'll say something different. Um, mm-hmm. It was half-baked, Ryan. That's what I heard. <laughs> Jim Brewer. <laughs> Jim Brewer from Half Bay. Always on a bed. Because he's so stoned. Uh, I'm going to go with somebody who is barely a character in the movie, but is means so much to other characters that mean so much to me. And that's Beth March. Aww. Get the fuck out of bed, Beth, and be a fucking little woman. All right? Not Don't a little girl stuck in bed. Stop rubbing sick babies all over your face to the point where you have to be in bed for the entire movie till now, you die. I don't know, Ryan. She hung out at the beach a lot. She's not better. She count as I mean, she's not she's not better. She has scarlet fever. She's not better. I had scarlet fever. I'm fucking fine. <laughs> scarlet fever is a fucking conspiracy brought to you by the government. I had it twice. I will say I think that it qualifies because her being trapped at home in bed is fundamental to not only her character, but is a foil to the other women's journeys. So I think it's actually essential. And uh, I think that's a great choice. Ryan. Oh, thank you. Also, Greg, you know why she's better in it is because I just defended Paul Sheldon. <laughs> get, get your head out of your ass. <laughs> All right. Crap. Okay. So it's back to me, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. Since we're allowed to just pick sick kids, we wouldn't even have the movie Princess Bride mm-hmm. if it weren't mm-hmm. for a young, sick, Greg-style Fred Savage, right? Yeah, Who is posted up in bed, totally sick. Grandpa's got to come over and read the Princess Bride, a book I've read, which is really weird and fucked up, but it's still, I guess you could read to your, to your grandson if you want to. Uh, so Fred Savage, or whatever his character's name is in Princess Bride. Ben. <laughs> Ben, Ben, ben Savage. Savage. <laughs> <laughs> Boy meets world. <laughs> is, is Fred Savage on the mountain? 
Fred Savage is on the mountain. Shit, that was the one that one. he was he was my ringer. That's correct. I forgot about him. Yeah, that's a good one. You, Mike. Here's where I thought Ryan was going. Here's a character who uh, is important to the movie, but not a huge part of the movie. A lot of the characters I love love him or fucking hate him. Uh, actually, it's Earl Partridge from Magnolia. It's the rich, dead Tom Cruise. Jason dad. Robards. J- yes. Yes, I agree. I thought he was on my list as well. So, Mike, you're going to get that one. Well, too. Kate, you only have one spot left. So I'm sorry. Am I, again, blowing my wad? No. Hey, you're the host. Okay. Blow that wad wherever you want, honey. <laughs> yeah, Ryan, I think you kind of actually gave me kind of the right to do whatever fuck I want. So... <laughs> When you shut up and get on with it. Wait, did you tell me to shut up and then talk? Yeah, precisely. Okay. Shut up and say something, idiot. I, I, I feel like that. Uh, the, this will be my last one because Mike already made it. But I'm going to say what I thought Mike was. I what I thought Mike I was going to say, which is what he thought I was going to say initially, which is uh, doesn't have a lot of dialogue, but integral to the movie, and that is Sandy Cohen from the Sandra Bullock movie. While you were sleeping, motherfucker. <gasps> is in a bed for two hours straight and the whole movie revolves around him. And then he wakes up and those eyebrows start going up and down and he's like, what am I, Sandy Cohen? And they're like, what are... No, you were in a coma. That was all a dream, bud. I get it. If I was Sandy and I met Bill Pullman and Sandy Cohen, I would try to three-way those brothers so hard. Oh my God, it'd be really hard. That's really good. I feel... Do I get a comeback if I like it? It's something I can put it. Okay, so then I... Because I want to hear... Everyone has four, Correct. I have, have a, I have a so couple many. more. Okay, then let's do this. Let's let's pop through some. One one I have is uh, all the really cool humans from Wally. Uh, remember how <laughs> near the end of the movie you find like these really dope humans who like have all right. cool sodas and. I only because you said they're cool, so I feel okay saying this. You said Fred Savage represented you in pop culture, Greg. I think you found somebody else. Ouch! <laughs> and it's Mike. Eve. You're sleek and sexy. <laughs> Mike, for being kind. <laughs> I don't thank you, Mike. <laughs> that means a lot to me. But yeah, those those dope uh, Wally people—they're living the life. You know, they all have cool screens. Their chairs sort of take them everywhere. All these other characters are bedridden because of like amputation or illness. Uh-huh. All these characters, like, no, look at that bed. I want to be in that forever. Yeah. Yeah. What's the point? Yeah. It's a lifestyle choice. <laughs> uh, Mike, you go. Uh, I'm gonna go old school. Uh, he was probably the shittiest character, but he did control the bed everybody floated around on. Paul Rawlings from Bed Knobs and Broomsticks had the magical <laughs> knob. <laughs> that would fly the bed from bed to bed and so he controlled that bed that they all were ridden in throughout the film. Oh, I love I love watching this passionate Atticus Finch like argument. I think we can all agree uh, that if you have ridden somewhere in a bed, right? I'm no big city lawyer. He was in the bed 87% of that film. Ryan uh, I guess I will wrap this up with uh, Almacy, who is Ray Fiennes from The English Patient, who uh, mm. alternates in the movie with like action hero uh, desert heroics, and then just being in a bed, being like, water! Oh, God, water! Because he was in the desert. He was in the desert, and he wants that fucking water. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to um, disqualify that one because of the fact that he's so spooky. Okay, typ- um, typically we just well, say maybe pile and forget that's about That's just it. Ray Fine's No, I think face. I'm going to shut that one down. He's too scary to think about. We're going to put that one away. Uh, Greg, you got a couple more? Going in the Ray Fine's box. I have one more. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, when the, the Simpsons occasionally cast their eyes forward, what will the Simpsons of the future look like? And uh, one of them, Bart, uh, 
uh, actually gets <laughs> so big that he becomes bedridden from being 800 pounds. And his catchphrase <laughs> is, I wash myself with a rag on a stick. And his catchphrase, his most commonly used sentence. Numerous times. Listeners, I kid you not, I think about this every single day. Because <laughs> that's the life. <laughs> I wash myself with a rag on a stick. And honestly, he looks exactly like Orson Welles when he says it. <laughs> Mike, how dare you compare me to a, car- a human um, character from Wally? All I want to do is wash myself with a rag on a stick. <laughs> Greg, I'm going to give you a point for because uh, you made me chuckle. I'm not putting that on the on the mountain though. Do we have any more submissions? Yeah, there's. Uh, if you were like me growing up, your porn only did not have cable, so you rented The Secret Garden a lot. Uh, <laughs> oh yes, that that sick asthmatic kid. Yeah, uh, who's so to be so pale and so coffee, but so <laughs> shitty to everybody around you. <laughs> you deserve to stay in bed your whole fucking life. Uh, these these are very good options. Yes, I I have appreciated every single one of these submissions. You guys did a really good job. I'm going to give the last spot to Sandy Cohen of While You Were Sleeping because I loved that movie. <laughs> your Rushmore of bedridden characters is Grandpa Joe from. Willy Wonka, bullshit. Uh, barely bedridden. Uh, You're barely bedridden. Beth March, who Greg says is barely bedridden. Uh, Fred Savage from the hit show The Oneater Years. And Sandy Cohen from While You Were Sleeping. <laughs> oh, what a proud mountain we made. <laughs> Actually, a real quick question. Is Fred Savage going to be tinier than the other three heads? Yeah, because he's young. Because he's so yeah. little. It'll be little, and Fred they're, Savage. They're all reading yeah. to him. I know you think you remember how young Fred Savage is in this movie. You, you don't. don't. He is just a little baby. He's basically standing in a crib the entire time. He actually hasn't grown legs yet. <laughs> how do you think babies develop, Kate? He's scuttling about. Yeah. On his claws. He's the size of a field mouse. Savage. <laughs> he's, he's very fast. <laughs> <laughs> okay and with that i think we'll take a quick break uh and we'll come back for our next taste bud welcome back we're gonna launch into our second taste bud Guys, Fincher takes an unexpected turn halfway through the movie, diving headfirst into a political battle that doesn't involve Orson Welles. How well does this plotline gel with the rest of the movie? Ryan, let's start with you. I think that the first thing that like, you sort of got to say before you get into Mank is... Watching it again is awesome because then you realize that it's not about what everybody said it was. And it has uh-huh. very little to do with Orson Welles or the making of Citizen Kane. Yeah. Really in there. <laughs> And then when you watch it the second time, you're like, okay, so this is actually is about bank, which the title promised, and this political thing is not as much of a distraction as it feels when you think that you're watching a movie about the making of the greatest movie of all time. It, it if they give this like a normal biopic, this is his "We Will Rock You," right? Like this is a shift in the movie, and and really lets you know this isn't about this dude you've not heard of making Citizen Kane. These are the important moments of Manx life. And th- this is what leads to his downfall. Because for so much of the movie, you're like, everybody loves this guy. Why is he on the outs? Because in the flashbacks, he's still this drunken asshole. So they <laughs> knew. 
And it's like yeah. the way that that's withheld is very clever. <laughs> Those are his flashbacks, by the way. <laughs> Which is very hard to do if you're an alcoholic. It's his version of remembering. <laughs> but yeah, his version, he is still a fucking drunken maniac. Well, that big, <laughs> that big reveal of like the reason he's kept around is because Hearst likes the way that he pops off and that he really... He's a butt jester. Yeah, butt jester. and that he's really just ultimately a butt jester. And I feel like though, even though the politics for Mank find a way to take a, a, a backseat, because really what it's about is it's about his like complicity by accidentally contributing such a great idea you know it, when he just says off the cuff like hey you have everything here you have this whole studio here that you can use to bamboozle people why don't you just do that and that off the cuff remark informs everything that happens including his friend killing himself and so i think that what precipitates that is politics and what is like the background or the reason for that is politics. But I think this is really about one, you know, it's still the politics takes a backseat to this sort of like personal struggle, which is he feels really bad that he is the one that came up with the really good idea yeah. to create propaganda that, you know, destroyed Upton Sinclair. It doesn't pay to pop off, Ryan. <laughs> okay. I feel like you could have just left names off. That's very pointed. <laughs> Uh, there's the type of person who, when playing Trivial Pursuit, even though the question isn't for their team, they have to prove that they know the answer and shout it out and give the point to the team that they're not on. And ultimately, that's sort of who Mank is. Yeah. He he can't shut the fuck up. Like he, he knows that this is what he would do. He knows it's clever. And he has to share it, even though it will wreak uh, tons of damage. You know, and like he's like, well, I didn't see that coming. Bullshit, dude. Yeah. This is your entire life is popping off. I guess like Ryan only would. <laughs> well, because that's the, the foreshadowing event, right? Like what what seems to foreshadow that most most strongly is him being like, you know, your husband's gonna die out there on that aircraft carrier, mm -hmm. and then being like, yeah. ooh, was that bad to say that like probably her husband's gonna die? <laughs> yeah, and it's funny that it's the foreshadowing event because it's foreshadowing for us. But it, oh yes, post shadow. Years he just it just shows he does not learn, even though one of his closest friends has shot himself because of things he's done. And there's smaller examples of like what he does too. Like not only does he light all the fires, but he also finds himself, like I think, Orson Welles in being like heroically putting out the fires and not. And you can see it in the face when he hands the the bald guy's wife the bag of bullets uh -huh. or the napkin of bullets. Not Eve. Act like you watched Eve. it, asshole. E Eve was the last wife. Okay, Faye, not Eve, is I think the chant that we're supposed to shout. It's Adam and Faye, not Adam and Eve. <laughs> he brought a box of bullets with him to the office. That's not what 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 Mike cared about. America. <laughs> I know, seriously. Okay, I got my banana, my apple, my box of bullets, <laughs> my box of bullets, <laughs> but. For Mank, it's all about that smirk of handing Faye the napkin of bullets, saying, like, I fucking fixed it because I'm fucking Mank. I manked yeah, it. Yeah, I manked it up, bitch. Yeah, the idea of leaving a person with a fatal disease who has just expressed extreme suicidal thought, uh -huh. him offering you bullets and being like, yeah, he can keep the gun is insane. <laughs> what else is insanity is the wife being like, 
he has a box of bullets. Being aware <laughs> of the fact that he brought a box of bullets right. somewhere. <laughs> I, I checked our box of bullet inventory and he took one. As he was at the door, he grabbed his water bottle, he grabbed his coffee thermos, he grabbed his wallet, he grabbed his watch, he grabbed his gun, and his box of bullets. <laughs> and wait a minute, there's only 99 boxes of bullets here. That means he has one. They're not boxes of bullets on the wall. On the wall. 99 boxes of bullets. And Greg claims that this movie is unsubtle. Like, maybe Pincher is unsubtle, but where it just cuts right to the window... Of yeah. the guy, and we sprang. Gun blast. No, that was that the was only thing that tool. we could have made that more Fincher is we followed the bullet from inside the gun into the guy's head, and the guy looked <laughs> yeah. the sexiest you've ever seen him look, and then it shoots him in the face. Yeah, we like watch the hammer come down in slow motion. The gases expand to fill the chamber. The bullet slowly. The pixies moves. run into the room and start jamming. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Bullet, you met me at a very weird time in my life. <laughs> What, what are, are we talking, talking about, about Mank? <laughs> We're talking about oh, Mank. Uh, but, you know, it is it is interesting the, the way uh, the discussion of, like, what is socialism versus what is communism? Mm-hmm. Like, that was very, uh, it seemed very topical. As some things change, nothing ever fucking changes. I mean, yeah, I think it's interesting, too. What did, what did his dad, Finch Fincher, put into the script? And what did David <laughs> put into the script mm-hmm. to be even more topical? Mm-hmm. When did Finch Fincher write this? In the 90s. So was Finch Fincher looking at Bush 1 or Clinton oh, man. 1? Greg, if it's good, it happened in the 90s. I could just see him sitting on his couch, watching In Living Color, <laughs> writing this script. Well, the, the, the more I think about like, because it, it feels so topical, right? It feels like he had to have moved things around to make this fit this time. But I've been reading a book, Push My Glasses Up, uh, oh, come on, man. About just like Point the 500 mind. years of America. <laughs> Nothing changes yeah. ever. Mm-hmm. Every 30 years, we go through the same cycle. So The I most think- important scene, as far as this goes, is not the, you know, Upton Sinclair played by. Did we talk about that? It's Bill Nye. That's just Bill, Nye, Bill dog, Nye in dude. the background. <laughs> From Almost Live. Um, <laughs> but it's the scene at, at a party when they're taking a break from drinking and they're all sitting around and drinking. <laughs> And uh, talking about how, like, the Nazis are not that big of a deal. And mm. the rich people are saying the Nazis aren't that big of a deal because they're more worried about losing money and having a little bit of socialism than they are six million people and dying. And making fun of his little mustache or his orange skin or right. his, how his wig doesn't fit. Yeah, <laughs> it was the part crazy. Just, yeah. <laughs> I think Manx's crunchiness where he, you know, he, he knows he's ruffling feathers is essential mm-hmm. because it feels like at the center of this screenplay is the like eternal and internal struggle of Hollywood, which is this assumed and you and ubiquitous liberal culture that we associate with an artist and stuff like that, and and just the unbridled capitalism beating yeah. at the heart of the industry. And the, so the difference between the performance and the authenticity and what is that line, that blurred line between reality and and movies that is manifested mm-hmm. in that those shorts those reels that he well, makes. look at look at mayor mm-hmm. saying like right. you are my family and he uh, standing on a stage and lit by his very own lights he performs like we're all a family and i love you and he cries for like one of 50 freaking times in the movie this guy's go-to move is the fake cry and all of Have that is it? just absolute theater <laughs> and <laughs> crying it works it's whatever yeah. you want do it now but like that it, it's so cult-like, and it's so there's good people on both sides, and it's it's so uh, 
I love you. You know, stop pillaging the Capitol building, but I still, I, I still You're love very you. Special. You know, <laughs> when Mayor Fake cries, the people so who <laughs> all stand up and are like, "Yes, I'll also give up half my salary." It's Shirley fucking Temple. Shirley I fucking Temple. The it's, reason for all of this shit. Oh, this little <laughs> cunt. It's Shirley fucking Temple. It's all these Richie Riches are like, yeah, I'll give up half my salary. And then the grips and the best boys are like, I guess I'll clap too, even yeah. though I live on a half an apple a <laughs> yeah. day. But yes, who is, the, who is the people who keep these people in power? It's the poor people hoping that they will one day be rich and saying, yeah, do whatever you want to me. I will give up half my salary just because you said we're family and that you will take care of me and you'll let me continue to be racist. And that's the thing. It will always be we're family when we have to share the burdens. Right. And then, but then later they're talking about it and they're like, "Are you gonna like restore those people's salaries?" And he's like, "Just, just give me a break, man. <laughs> I don't want to talk about this right now. It's not convenient for me. It's like the, it, it it only works in those moments. Otherwise, we're not fucking family. Get the hell out of here. Like as soon as there's a downturn, it's like, well, now I'm gonna let half of you go because I don't give a shit. There's only one place you're actually family. It's goddamn Olive Garden. Olive Garden. <laughs> yeah." <on. laughs> Why were they not buying steak in Olive Garden at this point? Yeah. That would have been a you fucking. Can't get a steak they sell in pasta, Garden, idiot. Right? Pasta. <laughs> oh, Mike. Greg and Mike are friends forever. <laughs> boom, 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 boom. Uh, Kate, can you shut this down, please? They're gonna dance for ten minutes. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna shut this one down. We're gonna take a quick break, and we'll be back um, soon. Trivia. Welcome back. Are you guys ready for some trivia? I'm always ready for some trivia. Excellent. Ryan, yes. I'm ready. (laughs) Excellent. I'm going to give you a point for that one. God damn it. Damn it. For being smarter than the others. Seems unfair. Okie dokie. Let's start with the softball. Who wrote Make Screenplay? Ryan. Mike. Jack Fincher, or as we've been calling him on the show, Finch Fincher. Excellent. One of the big set pieces well, also in Mank. Well, Mank wrote Mank's screenplay. That's the screenplay he wrote <laughs> in the movie. But Drunk that's fine. Herman J. Mankiewicz shows up to Hearst Castle unannounced and crashes a dinner party being thrown by media giant William Randolph Hearst. Do we like this scene? Ryan. Mike. Ryan. <laughs> I absolutely do, and I think we should be very forgiving of how Mank is in this scene. Excellent. The now famous moment in which Mank vomits all over Hearst dinner guests had is triggered what cultural response? Mike. Mike. Vomiting. Close. Ryan. Ryan. Fear of vomiting. Close. Greg. Greg. Looking away from the screen while watching Mank. No, the answer is my bulimia. At the height of his <laughs> empire, how much was the real William Randolph Hearst worth? Ryan. Greg. Ryan. Seven million dollars. No. Greg. Greg. Five hundred million dollars. No. Mike. Mike. One billion dollars. <laughs> $3.11 billion, which is an equivalent to 30.6 today. Dang. Isn't that fucking crazy? That, they didn't even know how to count that far back then. <laughs> what a bezo bozo. Honestly, he must have been so happy to have all that money. There's castle <laughs> rules. I've been there. Yeah, I love yeah it. dude. You got like giraffes and stuff. I know. Okay. What was Marion Davis? If you got last... fucking giraffe money, then you are set. You are you are. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry, Kate. No, it's okay. <laughs> that was important to say. Yeah, you have to say um, that. You had to get that out, big guy. <laughs> Let it out. <laughs> um, what was Marion Davies' last film with MGM? Ryan. Ryan. The Wizard of Oz. No. Mike. Mike. Mank. No. <laughs> Greg. Greg. Mank. No, I just said that, Greg. I know. Ever since Eve. The only movie I could think of. Okay. The film is the third collaboration between David Fincher and the streaming service Netflix. What are the other two? Greg. Greg. Mindhunter. 
And also Ryan. Ryan. Ryan, the Ryan Haley story. Uh, Mike. Uh, I don't know what to do with that. That's Ryan. a complete answer. You can give Mike. half answer. Uh, love, death, and robots? No. Okay. Ryan. <laughs> Ryan. Didn't There's actually three. It love, death, and robots, Mindhunter, and House of Cards. Yes. Good job, Ryan. Gary Oldman is the eighth Oscar winner to play an Oscar winner in a movie. Name three others. What the fuck? Wait, who is the mm-hmm. eighth one? Gary Oldman, Gary Oldman is the eighth is Oscar winner to play an Oscar winner in a movie. Okay. So what we're thinking about is actors on actors. <laughs> Ryan. Who've done a, yes. Uh, Kate Blanchett played yes. Catherine Hepburn. Yep. So you want two more? <laughs> I want two more. Okay. Uh, Kate Blanchett played Bob Dylan. Kate Blanchett yes. played Bob Dylan. And Kate Blanchett played Orlando. <laughs> <laughs> Kate Blanchett the city? played Hell. Hella. Uh, um, are we done? Yeah. Do we have no I think we're just okay. Wait, there's Easy. eight of them? Yeah, there are eight of them. Okay. There's some good ones in here. I, I figured you guys would, as movie buffs, be more prepared for this one. Oh, yeah. But... You would think that we would be movie buffs, but actually, I don't know anything about movies. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen a film. So far, I've seen Mank. <laughs> I'm hoping to build up my portfolio from here. <laughs> as a movie, Greg, did it live up to what movies are supposed to be? You know what? It was it actually is pretty cool. I felt oh, like Ben Affleck played George Reeves in that making the Superman movie. I'm sorry, Greg. Yes. Those Superman serials won so many Oscars, but yeah. way to fucking go. You're dumber than Greg. Okay. Mayer was a film producer and executive also known as the blank of Hollywood. Ryan. Yes. Oh uh, I hope it doesn't start with a J. So I'm gonna say the Bulldog. No. Mike. Mike. Mayor. No. Greg. Greg. The Penguin. No. The Riddler. Mike. The Lion. The Lion. That makes a lot of sense. What was Louis B. Mayer doing when he told his company they would get all their money back? Ryan. Yeah. Lion. Well done. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, Citizen Kane is famous for its mise-en-scene, which is French for... Mike. Mike. Mayonnaise on the screen. No. Ryan. Ryan. Uh, mayonnaise on the table. <laughs> no. Greg, Greg. You, window of entertainment. No. What? Mise-en-scene is French for me so horny. What should you do when me so horny? Ryan. Ryan. Pull up pictures of Louis B. Mayer. No. Mike. Mike. Ride a horse? No. Greg. Fucking Greg. cowboy? Wait, I got one. Greg. Greg. Eat graham crackers. No. When you so horny, you should make it. What is the name of William Randolph Hearst's palatial estate? Ryan. Greg. Ryan. Not Xanadu. Mike. Mike. The Hearst Castle. No. We said, oh, what? I mean, it is, but no. <laughs> Not how trivia works, Mike. <laughs> Greg. Greg. <laughs> Hertz, don't it? No. San Simeon. What is your dick like after you make it? Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> Sans erection. San Simeon. Greg. Oh, no, you. <laughs> <laughs> I knew what it was. I knew what it was. <laughs> I'll give it to you. I believe you, Greg. <laughs> um, okay, we're gonna we're gonna take we're gonna take a quick ba- break, and we'll be back for their taste bud. Welcome back. We're gonna launch into our third taste bud. Fincher often has complicated relationships with his leading males. What do we make of the Mank character, and what do we think Fincher makes of him and the way he relates to women? You say Mank, Mank of the third of the Mank yes. character. What, what do we make of this Mank? <laughs> you know, I I felt like what we were go what we were in for, or what he set out to do, was show this guy warts and all, 
And then I feel like halfway through it, he was so charmed by the character yeah. that he had a really hard time holding his feet to the flames. It reminds me. I think of, it's a Finchian thing. That's the David yeah. Fincher story for sure. It, like uh, I remember, I read Anna Karenina by Tolstoy, and Tolstoy's whole point was Greg. to just like make this character and just beat the shit out of her. And he really struggled to do it because he sympath- sympathized with her so much. That's what Sims. feels like is going on with this. He just fucking <laughs> loves Mank, what? and so he makes the whole world really go out of its way to apologize for Mank's behavior. I think the yeah, big I'm question give is Greg a point for referencing a literary heroine. Uh, right? <laughs> Hell yeah. I also read uh, recently. I was just uh, reading Infinite Jest for my seventh time. Read it in one day, and I was thinking I'm about take a how... point away from that one. Yeah, okay. why would you pick Infinite Jest? What a bad <laughs> choice! You could have said anything. I wonder if. Okay, so I'll, I'll say this. You guys tell me if I'm wrong. That you're wrong. I uh, Tuppence Middleton. Yes, awesome the name. British Fuck. name. Tuppence oh, Middleton forever. That's, that's, well, oh, that's poor uh, Sue, right? Are you from India? Where yeah. Tuppence Middleton? Where could you possibly be from? And. Uh, <laughs> Who uh, would name their daughter Tuppence? Well, with the That's last name Middleton, name right? Yeah. And Lily Collins, I think, do a good job. Are are they just not as dynamic as Amanda Seyfried as actresses, or well, were those parts very underwritten? Whereas Marion Davies was like, "That's a fucking part." Yes, because one, Amanda Seyfried is the most underrated actor in our generation. She has ESPN, Mike. God damn, can she? Act. <laughs> but I do think poor Sue. And Lily Alexander, watch the movie. uh, Runaway Sue and (laughs) Lily Alexander, I think, are underwritten because they both are fascinating characters who we just don't get, especially poor Sarah. uh, We don't spend enough time with for how important she should be to Mm -hmm. Mank's life. I think with Amanda Seyfried's character, it's uh, Mank. I am, I am dazed by you. You know, I, I think that you are somehow attractive, even though you're just yet another 65-year-old playing a 45-year-old, white, straight, awful, incompetent dude. But I, al- I also have my own shit. I also have my own life that I need to live, where I, I have to worry about my exits and my comedy. And, like, uh, Mary Davies has her own life, whereas Tuppence Middleton and uh, Lily Collins, they all fall into this. We're just here for you, Mink. We're just like we're just like extra. They're almost like part of his memory in that I remember. This is how women treat me. Isn't Marion Davies the same for Hearst? She's like, you can write a script that totally makes fun of me. I don't care, but please don't do it to Daddy because that doesn't seem right. It seems like she. It's agency, as- though. She has she. It feels like she's making that decision instead of saying what whatever the boys want. I'll fucking do. Mm-hmm. But but what is that discrepancy between poor Sarah and that? Because I, I feel like I'm not. To, I I would never claim that poor Sarah, that that character was done justice by that script. <laughs> but I don't see why her loyalty to Mank is less of an autonomous choice I, than Amanda Seyfried. Because it's not backed up. Because we get Seyfried away from Hearst. And she has, because she has friendships we see where we only see poor Sarah as poor Sarah until the end, she gives that very, like the the, the most traditional uh, hackneyed part of the movie is her yelling at him at the end of, I love you, but don't call me poor Sarah. Yeah. I was she, like, oh, Finchie, she gets on, her you're yeah. better than this. She gets her right off into the sunset moment or like her walk away slowly from the exploding car. Without looking, I do back. have to like, say though that is a deeply fucked up nickname. Yes, I've been telling everybody to call me since I watched this. <laughs> in, the, in the very beginning of the movie, somebody's like, "How's Sarah?" and makes like, "Who? I do no, not you know who you're talking Sarah. about." Oh, 
poor Sarah, my wife. We all call her poor Sarah. Her name is but, poor Sarah. Like, imagine, I don't know, if you were really good friends with or married to Ryan. I think you understand how poor Sarah feels. It's like, this is just the joke that never stops joking. No, but it's such an excuse for his behavior. Like, he wants everybody right. to no. know. I treat her poorly. Yeah, yeah by I letting treat her everyone... poorly. That's the bit. I treat yeah, her like I think it, I think it genuinely, <laughs> that kind of thing genuinely to me, like rings of emotional abuse. Yeah. Yes. And knowing Mank like I know Mank, I think that he thinks that he is up front and punk rock when he says poor Sarah about how he treats his wife, when everybody else in Hollywood treats their wife worse, but doesn't like fess up to it. He's mm-hmm. fessing up by saying, hey, I gave you a nickname. Poor Sarah. It sucks to be married to me. It's more than that, too. It's the why do you love me, that constant thing. That's abuse. The yes. way he keeps saying why do you love me, every time he says it, it's because he's doing something really bad right. and he wants her to forgive him or yeah. at least just to move past it. Back and so he's up, baby. constantly like rubbing in her face like, hey, guess what? You love me, dummy. Idiot. Like, <laughs> here I am. Absolutely. But, well, it's such an intrinsic part. And it's when she the 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 least hackneyed part of her her big right in the sunset scene was her. She's like, and I don't care about your platonic affairs. I was like, I wish we just centered the whole movie talking about this right now. Oh, yeah. It was one of my favorite parts of the whole movie because it acknowledged something that I felt very keenly aware of. Everyone probably did in the like hanging out with that blonde bombshell. And it's so obviously being a relationship of of deep intimacy. It's his work wife. And and it makes sense to me, at least in my relationships to men, how very often men who consider themselves smarter than the rest of the room have emotional affairs with mm-hmm. women and think they're getting away with it. And just think that like, as, as long as you're not sexual. Yeah. I can, I can call her poor Sarah and not see her for months and leave her with the children. Right. And I will be your protector. Oh, how are those tiny little idiots that I seated? Like he, he straight up his, yeah. his care about his children is not really there. Ah, uh, he's living the dream life. <laughs> Got to tell you guys. He's loving he's it. He's an Albany man. And I, I, I agree with something you said, Mike, which is like, I, I wish that the movie had maybe given a little bit more oxygen to the, this idea of these platonic affairs, because mm-hmm. we see a lot of like we see one scene in particular where he runs off to go comfort Marion Davies and poor Sarah clearly like gives him the, the like, go ahead. Go ahead I feel yeah. bad calling her poor Sarah. Sarah clear, it gives him like the go ahead. But I would like more inspection of the fact that she knows what's going on. She is aggrieved by what's going on. She thinks about listing it in a list of her grievances because she right. says this, like when she's about to do it, she says, okay, I've like been preparing this. So it, it would be nice to see that examined a little bit mm-hmm. more because that seems like a really interesting idea. He doesn't step out on her. He, you can tell all these relationships with these women, they're emotionally fraught. They're emotionally very deep rather, but um, they they never seem like they're going to veer into the sexual. At least I, right. I, I feel like right away no. he does a good job mm-hmm. of laying. He the always groundwork. pukes right before it comes, <laughs> <laughs> and that's how you know he's a yeah. good guy. But unfortunately, for every line that the movie yeah. has of like, uh, you can't tell a, a man's story in two hours. You can only tell, like, leave an impression or. Uh, Movies are the greatest grift because you just leave people with a memory and then you get to take your thing back. For every line like that, there's two lines of hit, of Mank saying, why do you love me? And then what that does is open up the question for us as well. We don't know, dude. No. We do not know. And this movie does I, not have the time to explain it. For a movie that jumps around in time so much, I would love to get at some point. Their first PS date or something? Mank just truly having a good time. What, what is their version of looking at giraffes and, and yucking it up? I know why she loves him because when he was a because they're the same age even though they don't look it and because no when way. is it fifty years difference when they the went actors? to parties 
when they went to parties when they were 20, he ran the room and everybody wanted yeah. to hear what he had to say. And everybody wanted to just be next to him because he made everything so amazing. And that felt really good. And then she actually met the man behind that, that the nobody man? even really the knows. The man behind the mank? The mank behind that, who nobody even really knows <laughs> except for her. So, like, you know, you get the hook set, sets young. And then from that point forward, it just, you just get propelled along, you know, that, that initial. And then you get knocked up. <laughs> yeah. And you get up again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I get knocked up. <laughs> she's definitely a tub thumper, for sure. Yeah, because he's tubby. <laughs> but are, I mean, when do you guys remember when this movie was like coming out? Everyone said like this is like this is like a boys' club movie. Like this is a just a movie for dudes and dudes night. Do you feel like dudes it lived night. up to that reputation? Because it 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 like how do women do in this movie? Would you say? Was it TNT or TBS or maybe even Spike that had a thing that was called Movies for Due to Like Movies? Yeah. And they would just they would just play like Judge Dredd with Sylvester Stallone every Thursday night. Uh, dudes love them some movies, don't they? Especially if they're about dudes. Well, I, I think here here's what's wrong with Fincher, right? Is I do think he makes nuanced stories, but dudes, if we're calling dudes just fucking dudes, are so mm-hmm. dumb. That they lose the nuance. That, yeah. Dudes don't watch Fight Club and go, mm. oh no, should I think Tyler Durden's wrong? They don't watch Social Network and go, is a billion dollars really that cool? They just go, a billion dollars is that cool. Social Network is a good one. And then also Zodiac is one too. It's not that he wants people to think that they're Zodiac. He wants mm-hmm. people to understand that your just, Astrology rules. Your, your manly obsession with trying to like take down a serial killer is going to ruin your fucking life. Right. It's always there. Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Well, his movies are all about obsession. But I, I do think it's how masculinity is. Yes. Uh, if, if masculinity like bleeds in with your obsession, then that is ultimately will, what will ruin you. Like your fucking punk rock attitude, you should grow out of. And if you don't, you look like an idiot. But then he then makes them look super cool. Because he is. Yeah, I, I, I would love to know if he knows how much of his protagonists he is. Because he is also obsessed with. With masculinity. I, I like to think of David Fincher and Chuck Palahniuk. 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 I think it's, it's Palahniuk. Chucky e. P, baby. Chucky e. P. I like to think of Finch Fincher's son <laughs> and Chucky e. P in a Starbucks having a coffee being like, what did we do with Fight Club? Holy, <laughs> what the fuck did we, yeah. what, what hath we brought? When, uh, I've heard a lot of people asking about, uh, like one of the weird things about the Capitol, which is that people were we- like, some of the guys were just wearing like skins, like animal skins. And I heard a lot of explanations for it, but none of the explanations tapped on Fight Club, where Tyler Durden says, we will wear the skins of deers that we like, uh, the deer that we have tanned on the highway. Like, I, I think that even that kind of thought of like people dressed like that goes mm-hmm. back to Fight Club. So, like, we really do live in a world that Fincher helped to create and it's innocuous in a movie like rank but it's pretty upfront in a movie like fight club and we still feel i mean people are saying about that woman that got shot her name is ashley whatever her name is and repeating it it's in the same her fight name club is way. ashley name whatever is her name is did 1999 <laughs> th- those films did they just ruin america oh absolutely i wouldn't remember i was four God damn, you're young. We all were four, okay? Everybody was the same age We were all four then. All of America was four. If you smash Fight Club, American Beauty, and The Matrix together, you get what happened last week as we're recording this. You get every man I've ever dated. (laughs) But I do think, though, that like uh, Zodiac and Girl with the Dragon Tattoo and Gone Girl is not a movie that we mentioned, but that's just about how like 
What do you What do you no, think? No, You're no, a fucking uh, well-to-do, handsome white person. Look at the fucking piece of shit. That, even when you don't murder your wife, you're a piece of shit white person, <laughs> yeah. white dude. Uh, all of these movies are subtly, unsubtly, subtly, unsubtly, like trying to like apologize for Fight Club. I really think that they are <laughs> Gone Girl, especially. But I I think that the way that we have acknowledged that he, sometimes he loses track of his own tone and thinks they're cool. And d- yeah, he he doesn't. That's why he keeps going back to it because he actually hasn't resolved it in himself. One day, one day I yeah. will resolve. But until then, I'm going to make cool ass movies. Venture in a way that I never have because I normally just like to shit on for this. The 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 people he makes movies about wouldn't be as powerful in their worlds if every if you didn't see why everybody fell in love with them. So him falling mm-hmm. in love with them is part of his argument. Uh, yeah, because, yeah. yes. Yeah, you have That's to deal the with the fact... That's the smartest thing I've ever but, fucking but, said. Uh, yeah, I'm and it give that didn't even get a point. No, uh, oh, he reminded me to give him one. <laughs> <laughs> Mike has to You just have to throw your arms above your head after you say something. <laughs> but yeah, it's that confusion of why do I love this person? Should I hate this person? That I think that's what he wallows in. You know, that's what he yeah. finds so interesting is... I'm so intrigued to the point of love, to the point of I think they're cool. Wait, what the fuck does that say about me? That's basically mm-hmm. all his movies. Yeah, I think that it's an exploration of his own perspective. And for me, that's one of the reasons that I really didn't like this movie. Um, and it shocks me. I am, I love old Hollywood. I love Fincher. Sign me up for a blonde bombshell any day of the week. But I, when I watch it, I think about the Brooklyn film boys I've known. And the way that they have spent their careers digesting their own experiences and thinking yeah. that they're subverting something when they're not. And I don't think he successfully. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to give myself a fucking point for that one. Yeah. So I, I'm, I, I've been hearing what you guys have been saying, and it is compelling. And I do. I see the movie's merit, but I don't think Fincher is as self-aware as he pretends to be. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's impossible because Finch, all Fincher has spent his career since Fight Club doing is trying to get away from these Brooklyn film boys, mm-hmm. but he can't not still like want to entice them. Like He still wants to be like, but I still want them to like this. Like, if they think is that it about I'm... fuck boys, man? This is crazy. Yeah. We're at real crisis in America right now. Playing to your base. <laughs> I think it really is that. <laughs> I think that we... I, I think I've let this one go on too long because I was... Uh, into the conversation so let's yeah you uh, can't get interested in what yeah, we're saying that's the problem <laughs> i was Bad too hosting. checked in um so let's take another break and we'll be back for speed round all righty are we ready for speed round so ready let's do it <laughs> Excellent. Okay, I'm going to pop these off as fast as I can say them. You guys give me the answers, and I'll tell you if they're right. (laughs) (sighs) All right. Is this the best Orson Welles impression of all time? Yes. No, it's Maurice LaMarche, who did the Bird's Eye Peak commercial in Animaniacs and Tiny Student Adventures. (laughs) No, I... That's the best Orson Welles impression. Come on, this is the best... The the sound of this guy's impression is the best sound I've ever heard in my entire life. Uh, My my wife thought they edited in Orson Welles in the beginning of this movie. And they did at one point. Greg and Mike did it well. Okay, (laughs) is this the best movie featuring an actor who played a main character on the Netflix show Iron Fist? (laughs) Yes. Absolutely it is. Question again? Excellent. Okay, we're gonna give it's Ryan, a, we're gonna give Mike it's a point. Iron Fist stepbrother. Warren Beach. Oh yeah. yeah. He's in this oh movie my god. Best part of as he always okay. is. What's your dope last name nickname? Greg. Greg. The Heinster. <laughs> oh, I thought it was Greg. Mike. Mike. Graves. 
I don't think that's cool. You don't think Ryan. That's cool? Ryan. That's pretty fucking awesome. Jank. Cool. <laughs> really? That was cool? I thought that one was cool. Oh, I never know. <laughs> I like the Heine. Okay, what old-timey person should Beekman from Beekman's World have played? Uh, Bill Nye, the science no, guy? No, so Bill Nye played Upton Sinclair. That means oh, okay. Beekman from Beekman's World should have played Cesar Chavez? Okay, but here, how about this? I got one better than that. Mm-hmm. Hearst should have been played by Beaker from the Muppets. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, right. And then who's Miriam? Which of you will put tassels on your nipples and calmly be topless for the rest of the show? Mike. It's clearly Mike. <laughs> it's yeah. clearly Excellent. Mike. That's my I'm deal. Give you point. I'm going to give you two points for those pretty little titties. Every time somebody says, Mike, what's your deal? He's like, oh, I put tassels <laughs> on my nipples and type for people. Why does poor Sarah love Mike? Uh, I... Don't know. I think it's because I think it's because he charmed her when she was a young lady, and he seemed so powerful and knowledgeable and worldly. And that's why I love Greg. Been betrayed by it's, her own emotions. Yeah. It's it's a combination. Yeah. <laughs> he can run the room and be clever and quippy, but he can also be like. And here's why I'm fucked up. He uses honesty as a an additional weapon. It's not just that he can charm her. That's part of the charm. Is like here's how fucked up I am. That will totally ruin a girl in her twenties. Also, you, you have to be yeah. smart enough to get his humor. And so a lot of people don't even know what his jokes mean. And I think so. If you get someone oh. like that, like mm-hmm. Sarah gets him, then it feels like being part of like an exclusive club. This is just Greg describing Greg, and it's crazy. I love you three men explaining this phenomena to me, as if I'm not the <laughs> you asked us primary to. Wait, experience. Time out. Kate, why does Sarah like Mank? <laughs> uh, he got big dick. Um, <laughs> you got that uh, mark? He got that big dick. Um, would you or your SO be as cool as poor Sarah when talking about the platonic affairs? No. Mike, you were right. <laughs> I know me. Yeah. No. Um, do you ever wish things were still black and white like back then? Greg. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it's not trivia, it's so, Greg. It's so clear. Yeah. I just like saying my name. It makes me feel comfortable, Ryan. I'm self-soothing. I love the color purple <laughs> and people... It's a good movie. It. It it's Prince is weird. The yeah, he's fine in it. Yeah. But I like the color, the color purple. And, and I think if things were black and white, it wouldn't be so controversial. Prince yes. was not in The Color Purple, so I just created in my mind the movie The Color Purple Rain. Kate, where Prince you know, comes in. Point for Kate, do you know which one of us has read The Color Purple? I'm going to guess Mike. Mike, oh, have you read The Color Purple? You. Nope. Greg, did it's you me, read The Color Purple? It's me. It's me. I read The, I read the Color Purple, Kate. Everyone loves this guy. <laughs> Greg, I'm not going to give you a point for that one. <laughs> Uh, Kate, here's my card. It has my Goodreads on it, so <laughs> please check that out. Last question. How many times has your brain screamed, Mike, since its Netflix release? 18,001. Billion. 18,001? Billion. Yeah, I think any answer more than seven is good. Were you guys surprised not to see Tony Shalhoub in this movie? <laughs> and just like, I need to wash my hands. Uh-huh. <laughs> Okie dokie. So that was a little bit of a a dirge-like speed round. That's actually way faster than we normally do. (laughs) They normally go into full-blown segments. Okay, good. I'm glad I cut you guys off at the knees. (laughs) You're the best to ever do that. (laughs) By a lot. (laughs) Okay, are we uh, ready to move into the next segment after this break? Yes. Excellent. Yeah, we're going to come back um, in a moment. And the moment we've all been waiting for, it's time to hand out some awards. 
Woo! Let's start with the oldest old shit. This movie evokes the incredibly distinct look and feel of Citizen Kane. What do you consider the best use of its tropes, imagery, and stylization? Who's going first? I will go first. Thanks, Ryan. (laughs) Here's what I'm going to go with. Uh... When we think of Citizen Kane, we think of the camera being like unmoored um, and finally moving around. And I felt like one of the most sort of like attention grabbing shots in the movie is when uh, Hearst is like in that moving carriage uh, like that they're they're doing the dolly shot with and Mank walks next to him. And so like they're kind of still as the camera moves backwards in relation to the camera, they're not moving, but you can still see that movement. And I felt like although there's not a shot like that that necessarily is in Citizen Kane, I felt like the spirit behind it is imbued with like that sort of mobile camera feeling from Citizen Kane. I like that, too, because you get the feeling that a hearse would have just had that without the camera. Like, yeah. They're like, oh, can we hop on the train you made yourself? Track. It's like <laughs> yeah. his litter. Yeah. It's like he's like, a, yeah, a king. And so you like he literally had uh, Mank literally has to look up at him. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so, to get to be able to like sit on that train with him is such an ex- like that's oh. such rich dude shit uh-huh. is like sit next to me on my wild backyard as train. he pushes somebody else he used to have earned that right. spot off. It's kind of like toddler level of power. Uh-huh. The idea of like inviting your friend over to play <laughs> and being like you can you can sit in the side part of it, but this is my Watch actually my play. <laughs> and then if you start playing with it too much, I'm going to get a little jealous. I made a I made a crown of paper that I'm wearing. I may make one for you soon. <laughs> I don't know yet. No, he sits next to me at dinner. Yeah, Mom. Uh, I think I, I talked about it earlier the fade out where the olden times they didn't have the technology to actually fade out, so the whole screen turns black at once. So having the mm-hmm. screen get different versions of black before all the lights turn off uh, feels so old school. Mm-hmm. You know what's weird about that? I, I thought I was going to go with that one too. So then I watched Citizen Kane. They not many shots in Citizen Kane actually end that way. Like where it just gets suddenly dark like that. Mm-hmm. A lot of them just kind of transition into each other. So that almost feels like from movies of that time, but not necessarily Citizen Kane. Right. Itself. That's where I didn't. I didn't think oldie old shit was just for Citizen Kane. Oh yeah. So I, I didn't mean where to like... I. I mean, you watched Citizen Kane. I watched every movie that came out that year. So that's the prep <laughs> I did, except for Citizen Kane. Except for Citizen Kane. <laughs> well, you were there. Yes, I'm that old. <laughs> I'm the oldie old shit. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, uh, I have to go with the deep focus, which is not something that he used all the time. Like he, Orson Welles and Greg Tolan, when they shot Citizen Kane, they used it a hundred percent of the time. Everything was going to be in focus, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and Fincher and uh, Greg Member Schmidt or whoever his uh, camera person was, Greg uh, they didn't, Fenster, I believe. They didn't do it the entire time, but when they did it, it felt weird and old school, and it made me realize that like. It was. It's just like a lost art. Like it may have peaked in the seventies, and then it sort of went away. Where, if you're a director, you need to focus on very specific things, or people won't know what you're talking about. And mm-hmm. then in this movie, they were like, "Whoa, what if we showed the whole room? What if we had like a, a a dinner table full of people, and we put them all in fucking focus?" And that's it. Just feels old school, even without the cigarette burns and the black and whiteness. So like Altman style, where he's moving through everything and everybody's in focus at every mm-hmm. all times. Is that what that means? Yeah, the deep focus where like it, there's there's no fuzziness. You don't know whether you're focused in the background or the foreground. Exactly. Yeah. So rack focus would be like I'm going to be on this person in the foreground, and then quickly the person in the background who was uh, like mm-hmm. blurry is now in focus. So like that quick focus. Instead, everyone everything is in focus the entire time. 
And it, that's just like mm-hmm. most directors will be like, no, I, well, I want you to see their mouth. So right. therefore, I'm going to not focus on anything else. And some movies are downright blurry on like the, the edges because the the focus is like so keenly on one area that like think everything blurs to the sides. Right. And I think mm-hmm. that like directors get nervous about the, you're not going to know what to focus on. Yeah, I I agree with all. I think those are all great answers. But uh, Ryan, I'm going to go with yours. I think that that was a particularly compelling argument. Made it sound smart. Yeah, you sounded super smart. Second award, Hanky Manky Hottest Broad. Mike, we're going to start with you. Which one tickled the old pickle? I don't want to give anything to. <laughs> Who did oh, you rub man. one out to? I feel already gross and I was about to feel. Maybe there's something about incredibly pale, incredibly dark hair, uh, British. It's L- Lily Collins in those high-waisted pants. There's something about Miss mm. Alexander, yeah. man. It's the prim. You want to know it's underneath. Is Miss Alexander Emily in Paris? She might be, which when I looked that up, it made me very yeah. sad. What is she? Emily, Emily in Paris. Emily Paris. Paris, yeah, there you go. I'm sorry. The, the, the title is supposed to rhyme. Like all titles should. Emless in Paris. <laughs> Greg, what do we about you? I I personally, um, brunette women are my ballywick, and so it is. It takes a lot for uh, a, a blonde woman to to turn my eye. But speaking of eyes, Amanda Seyfried's eyes are mm-hmm. so big. Uh, she looks like Alita <laughs> Battle Angel. Life-size Brad's doll. And in a in a movie with a lot of stick-thin women, she is not she's not curvy by any means, but uh, Lily, what's her name? Lily Collins. Collins. Is like so waifish. Uh, it looks like yeah. she has bird yeah. bone disease. So I'm going to go <laughs> yeah. with the amazing eyes of Amanda Seyfried. Yeah, you like uh, BBWs. Like Amanda- <laughs> She must weigh easy a cool 115. She's like, she doesn't mind. She wears it well. Ryan. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I appreciate eyes as much as anybody else. Uh, but also, even I as much as me, Ryan? I would say even more than Greg. But oh, right. what I also appreciate way more than Greg <laughs> is uh, the feminine spirit and the independence of uh, Amanda Seafried. She got that ass. So there's no other answer <laughs> but Amanda Seafried. Yeah. Even though, yeah. at no point in this movie, does she type at a typewriter wearing nothing except tassels? Oh shit! I am shocked that none of I you forgot about that tassel one. lady. I was—I think I was so confused yeah. by her, I couldn't even be turned on. I was just like, "What?" <laughs> I know. Okay, I'm on a seafood diet. I seafood. I eat it. So I, 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 I got to go with that. <laughs> so you're saying seafood is Roy or the King? Oh, yeah. rest in peace. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, this is hard. This is hard because obviously I, I, I think I've already expressed I'm really quite hot for mm-hmm. Amanda in this movie. But I do like Mike. I feel like it's there's a tenderness to choosing something so wrong, unappealing to me <laughs> that uh, <laughs> there's something boyish in your inability to handle real feminine beauty. So yeah, I just gonna... I, I've been listening to a lot of half wave, so that's just the direction yeah. I'm going. My wave. <laughs> My Said that. That was great. Ryan. <laughs> Ryan, give you a point for that. Get those points, Ryan. Let's move on to uh, cringiest moment. We're going to start with whoever wants to start, actually. I'll, I'll do go. it. No, you should go, Ryan. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, I got to say, it's, it's the first moment. If I have to pick a specific moment, it's the first time he does not know when somebody is saying, how is your wife? How is Sarah? I'm sorry, what? Oh, do you mean poor Sarah, the nickname that she hates? <laughs> Uh, and then conti- going to the point where this 
pretty flat character. And I'm not talking about curviness. I'm, I'm just talking about she does not have a mm-hmm. lot of three-dimensionality to her. Uh, has to say, do not call me poor Sarah again. If you're going to fucking release this script about Hearst, then the least you could do is not call me poor Sarah again. His treatment of his wife yeah. is the his least sexual or platonic affair that he has. And that was the cringiest mm-hmm. to me. One of the many things I, don't re- I really don't like about the poor Sarah thread is early on when Lily Collins is ref- you know slips up and accidentally says poor Sarah he knows she hates it and so he's like cut it no, yeah. don't say that and so what he's doing is making her the joke that right. everyone else is in on yeah. oh that's the worst Ugh. yeah it's awful but that's why I think Ryan's uh, award is bunk because that's built in that's baked into the movie <laughs> what's yours uh, mine is that the how much Fincher's like I've heard old Hollywood quotes okay so I'm gonna put <laughs> as much as I can in here Hollywood is a yeah. dr- the only commodity you can sell without giving them anything Groucho Marx used to say I wouldn't be any like he does it so many times I'm like yeah. we get it bro he you've heard old Hollywood quotes fuck off <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. For me, it's uh, the aforementioned uh, topless stenographer or whatever she was, because Mm -hmm. um, like so much of this movie as a duty dude, when I saw her for the first instance, I was like, hey, I can can see that woman's breasts. And I think that's pretty cool. Hello. Uh, And like, (laughs) so it makes you very quickly go on this journey where you're titillated and then kind of like grossed out by yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think Mm -hmm. that... like that moment, like the cringe is deep inside yourself when you realize they do. That. They do put that like new to Hollywood screenwriter yeah. there to be like, huh, what, 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 what's happening right here? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that's a really great answer, Greg, because I think it's very self-reflective, <laughs> and I think it kind of holds you accountable mm-hmm. to your to your position as voyeur. <laughs> so, just out of uh, respect for your own awareness, I'm going to heck yeah. Next one, director's signature, Mike. I th- there w- there wasn't a lot of what I think of like Fincher shots in here, at least that not that I captured this time. So I, I do think he is obsessed with the tortured white dude, like we talked about, mm. tortured white dude who's in power but still isn't happy for some reason. Gosh darn it! Uh, <laughs> and he he just does not get away from that ever. Even in Gone Girl, which is probably like his wokest movie, it's still really about mm. a fleck and how afflicted he is. Afflicted is afflicted. It's also kind of about Outback Steakhouse. I don't know about you, but everything's about Outback Steakhouse over here, baby. <laughs> oh, guys, I miss Outback. <laughs> if this quarantine was just nine months, then nobody would miss Outback. But once we hit yeah. the tenth month, we want we want those blooming <laughs> onions I so eat bad. Outback about every ten months. <laughs> blooming onion. Their Long Islands, for some reason, really pop in a way others people's don't. Them kangaroo steaks. <laughs> Should we do a movie of the year about Outback? Yeah, I too. Would love it. <laughs> Yeah, one point to Outback Steakhouse. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go with my signature mo or my signature mm-hmm. move. Uh, when Ryan and I went to see the Fincher movie that directly followed Fight Club, which was called Panic Room, uh, we left the theater mm-hmm. both very underwhelmed. And I said, "I'll tell you this much: that movie had 3D credits, and I bet that that's the first time I've ever seen that. And I bet that becomes a big thing." And there were 3D credits in this movie, and there are 3D credits in so many different productions now, where the credits, you know, actually like are like you put into the scenery or something like that. Uh, Fincher made that up in the movie Panic Room, which is the only thing anybody will ever remember the movie Panic like, Room for. Like third dimension. 
That's I had no I didn't know that. Any yeah, like uh, there's like a like Jodie Foster. The words are like on the lawn of a park. And so uh, it looks like you could go by and like kick the R off the end of her letter or name. Yeah. So yeah. Look, yeah. Exactly. Right. Yeah. It's like if they, you can go and walk around the word. And if you look at this in the beginning, like when it says "mank," "mank" does not go across the screen in like what the X dimension. It goes back okay. into it in more like the Z dimension. So like it, it, it feels like the characters could actually walk around the letters. Got it. I really want to disagree with Mike, but I think I'm going to have to go with sort of his, which is. David Fincher's, and I, 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 what I really want to do is like <laughs> his camera placement, you know, because I really do think that he is one of the best visual filmmakers mm-hmm. of our time. Um, he just lacks mm-hmm. like that PTA sort of like. I also have clear visions of what my movie will be at the end of it. <laughs> I know, uh, and and so it's. Yeah, I can say yeah, what this is about. I I think it's the whole. Uh, I am going to challenge what we think about white straight male protagonists. But instead of making it hard because I'm a really subtle filmmaker, he makes it hard because, ah, shit, I love this guy. I love him, too, and you should. No, you shouldn't. No, you, do, you shouldn't. You know you should. And <laughs> I get his right. whole deal. And I, I, I do sort of think that that happens throughout the course of the filmmaking. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, to me, Fincher and, and Anderson are obviously in conversation constantly and i love paul thomas anderson i think he is one of the best depictors of masculinity in the male experience i think he does such a good job at it he makes it he doesn't make it alienating and he doesn't make it mundane or boring and there for me seems to be a lot more control in those movies of that idea um so i'm gonna give i'm gonna give that point to both mike and ryan because i I think with that, Kate, just I, I know you, you're, you're hosting, but like you said a thing that made me think is P.T. Anderson doesn't fall in love with Marky Wahlberg and Boogie mm-hmm. Nights or yeah. uh, Tom Cruise. Yeah, he doesn't fall in love with his. He The whole time he's like, see how gross they are. So it doesn't change yeah. it. Where Fincher's like, oh, goddamn. That's the thing is that you, you can have auteurs and you can have male directors telling male stories. Thank you. But Fincher, <laughs> you're allowed. And that's my call. <laughs> Finally. Yeah, I know. Give you guys a voice. Um, <laughs> but but that's, that is the thing, is that Fincher feels like a film boy. And there are times mm. when he's great. I love Mindhunter. I know that that's like not considered one of his like... No, you know, Mindhunter rules, I think he's, And I think that he does a really good job with Holden. And, yeah. you know, in, and in showing his the ridiculous nature of him and the weaknesses that you can see in a lot of white masculinity in America, it feels very, um, again, very aware. And he feels like he has very tight control over that story. So I, yeah, I've, I just, I find a lot of Fincher's Tyler. But if you look at PTA, I think the two ones to go with are the two DDLs because there are points in there will be blood and phantom Mm -hmm. thread where you're like, yeah, fuck yeah. I'm a man. This is a man. I fucking love this guy. And then not, not reflecting yeah. two weeks later, but yeah. by the end of the movie, you're like, oh, my God, who who am I as a person and how have I treated other people? <laughs> yeah. Right. Should I not be bashing people's heads <laughs> in with bowling Oh, pins? shit. Was that, one a, was that a boo-boo? Was that too <laughs> much? <laughs> yeah. You know? Um, I got very masculine there. Yeah. <laughs> Feeling very masked today, guys. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Okie dokie. <laughs> Let's move on to our final, which is 
best pound for pound performance. Uh, Greg, let's start with you. Or right, who, it's, yeah, Greg. Let's go with me. Mm-hmm. I think it feels good. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, it's always so hard to just say the main character, but um, I don't know if this is one of uh, Gary Oldman's best performances, but there's a lot to do here and a lot that you have to sort of hold in reserve mm-hmm. to play Mank, I think. You have to be willing to risk your jokes not landing for the audience mm-hmm. um, and for them to always be kind of like a step behind you. And I think that he gave Fincher exactly what Fincher wanted, which was the approaching complicated picture of a complicated man, but instead a very celebratory picture of a sort of complicated man. But yeah, I'm going with uh, Geo, Gary Oldman. Ryan. I I don't know. <laughs> Gary Oldman puts me off. I don't know if it's the fact that he got accused of me tooing and then nothing ever happened from that. Uh, or yeah, Oh yeah, hardcore. Or if it's Aww. just that... Oh, no. I'm tired of him in these roles, and he goes through these roles, which is it, that should be an accolade, right? Like, I did, I don't, I don't think of this as, you know, the guy from The Professional or from The Darkest Hour or from True Romance, but still, like, just slobber. It, it has to be Amanda Seyfried. I think that she, that she is an unstoppable force of nature that steals every scene that she's in. I definitely forget that she's there, and also rescuing Marion Davies from the Citizen Kane like coffin. That uh, the person she's portraying yeah. is in, uh, it's got to be Amanda Seyfried. Mike, see, I, I think that he goes through is the compliment you don't want to give, man. The old man, what he does here is, if Fincher loses sight that you shouldn't fall in love with Mank, I don't think old man ever does. Mm-hmm. The whole time when he does something very charming, there's like a quick flash in his eyes or a quiver in his lip that he knows how fucking gross and shitty he is that he manipulated the room in a Mm -hmm. shitty way. Like he is subtle and always he's never a happy character, even when he's crushing it. He's just always playing the role of mank. He thinks people there are again, there are split seconds when he's happy, like when he thinks he took all the bullets away from that guy. He really does think I fucking Uh saved the day. Right. That might be the one time, but every other time. What I figured out was that you don't even need the gun if you have the bullets. <laughs> Here you go, lady. You're for a guy welcome. like Bank, the worst thing that you can do is like experience happiness for one second because I promise you fucked it up, bro. And yeah, the Crush opposite it, yeah. of happiness is about to come down. Yeah. I, I, I think he's just always doing so many things at once throughout this movie. I think it'd be very cool and very hip to say it's not Gary Oldman. It is right? not Gary Oldman. It is 100% Amanda Seyfried. I think you guys both have excellent points. Mike, I absolutely agree. And I think that the, and I know that Greg also said that Gary Oldman is <laughs> But I'm disagreeing but you, with but Greg. But I don't like, what, I don't like what, the way he says it. <laughs> Fair no, enough. No, I absolutely agree with you that the thing that, that sells it to me is that Gary Oldman knows that character. Yeah, I think I'm, be- sh- I'm sure he has a tendency to be the smartest guy in the room. He's charming and he's performant. Like, I think that he probably identifies a lot with that character. And I think that it shows because his thing is I'm aware, I'm observing, I'm outside. That's right. the whole appeal of being a screenwriter and being the funny 
critic inside of a room is that you have removed yourself from a situation. Mm, so, you yeah. know, when you're performing and there is an le- element of disgust, I believe that you'd have with yourself. So I think that's a really well made. That's point. what Irving says to him, right? Like I come to work and I give my best every day yeah. and I don't keep myself above everything and I don't act like I'm slumming it. Yeah. Those are all the things Mank does to keep himself out of having to like really face himself. Yeah. That was the most I felt like I was Mankish was when Irving told him, I don't do those things. And I went, yeah. Oh no. <laughs> no, I know. Me too. Uh, that's the thing. You have to understand that I, the problem is that deep down, I am a Brooklyn film boy, and <laughs> and all I can do is hate what I see. <laughs> but uh, Ryan, I do agree with you. I she is so magnetic whenever she's on screen, and even with that kind of like heavy fake Brooklyn accent and nerds and all that. Nerds. I think nerds. That she, I can't believe nerds. I didn't talk about. Nerds I didn't talk more. about nerds at all. I think that one of the scenes for me that really was it was so brief, but I thought she did such a good job was when she made her exit. And Gary Oldman is asking yeah. her to go back in, and her just saying, "Don't make me. St- I'm gonna sound. Yeah, don't I'm not gonna do it. Stupid. Yeah, I'm not gonna. I've made my exit, and it's like yeah. just a small. It feels so real. It feels like they're friends. It feels like she knows she's being a little ridiculous, but she's also not gonna. Mm-hmm. Do and this it. is the life, baby. Um, and like, I can't think of another performance yeah. that like sort of created two stars. Like, I will always because of Mank, I will for sure know that Amanda Seyfried is a fucking star. And I, I will always think that Marion Davies was a star. Yeah, you know, like she yeah. she handled both of those things with this movie. Yeah, and a genius. Obviously, she's extremely intelligent. Yeah, because like that's you know, she had to be to to play right. every side in exactly the yeah. way, but she not like to. switch personalities. Just slightly bring up one wall yeah. and slightly lower another wall right. in every scene that she's in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but dude, yeah, Seafried from from. Mean Girls to First Reformed to this, she is, if she's not winning every Oscar in a couple years, the world yeah. is fucking stupid. That's not exactly how it works, though, Mike. I mean, there's going to be some she's not eligible That's for. No, all of them. No, every Oscar. I want her to win Best Best Boy. So, like, production design, you want her to yeah. win for that? Like, production not- design for making your beautiful eyes. <laughs> <laughs> for your eyes being so big, it's confusing. <laughs> That's to go to the parents. You're right. Um, And she'll say that in the speech. Ryan, you're going to get that point. Good job. Thank you. So I think that wraps it up. So let's uh, let's take a quick break. And when we're back, we're going to announce the winner. Welcome back. We are going to um, announce the winner. Why do you seem sad? Are you okay? I'm I'm solemn. Oh, because it's so important. Okay. Yeah, I'm respecting the moment, kind of giving it the gravity it deserves. I feel like um, I came in last, you guys, and I no, feel bad. You I always feel... feel that way, Greg. But I'm sorry, Ryan. I'm going to have to take a point away from you for kind of disrupting the tone that I was setting yeah. as, <laughs> as the host to kind of do. I think I that I scored the most amount of points, but I also think that I lost the most amount of points. So yeah. I came in last for sure. I middle of the road at it like I always do, which makes me feel pretty hopeful. <laughs> just pisses guys like me and Greg off because Mike, by sucking not a ton, just wins uh-huh. all the time. Well, okay. So third place with 19 points, Mr. Greg Gorilla. Yeah. That's a shame. Second. second. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> it is. I, you could have done better. I should have um, watched the movie harder. <laughs> um. If you had Amanda's eyes, maybe you could have. <laughs> I was lost in them. That's the problem. <laughs> I know. It's women. I have the same um, eyes, Greg. 
You handled me okay. Second second place is with 20 points, Ryan. Oh, come oh, the fuck no. on. Which means Mike oh, no. comes sweeping in with 23. Oh, 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 oh. I'm surprised. I'm as surprised yeah, as the rest of you. That's shocking. Affability wins points, guys. I I seem like the village idiot. You do. So, Kate, this this did not go well. Yeah. Okay. Last Sorry, it didn't work out uh, better, Kate. That's a shame. Um, there's also uh, one point for me and... Um, one point for... I think another point for Outback Steakhouse. Oh, Outback Steakhouse, And one yeah. point for Outback Steakhouse. Which I think right. is the first brand to get a point. <laughs> Kate, are you cool with cool. you and I being best friends now? I know. Pretty excited. Well, we went kind of band of brothers through the whole loopback fiasco. Yeah. Do, you guys, do you guys mean like Oasis? Isn't that yeah. a band of brothers? Ah. Yeah, she's Ross Geller. I'm the dude from Office Space. We're in the Band of Brothers. <laughs> she's just Gallagher. How about she this, just Ross smashes Geller? watermelons. This is for you, fucking Ross Geller. You like that? You like that joke on that, Ross yeah, Geller? That's really good oh, for a listeners. Podcast. I'm doing stuff with my hands. Yeah, that's a really good. Hold on, let me describe joke. it. Greg is great yeah. at hand stuff. <laughs> Would you please tell high school? Wait, not current high. Mm. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to take retire. that one back to the workshop and tinker around with it for a minute. Greg has to go to his neighborhood high schools and tell him how good he is at hand stuff. Every time he moves. I, yeah. If you work it into a fun, like, welcome rap, do you think they let you do that? Uh-huh. Like, right. <laughs> I've been known as a party offender. I have to let you know I'm a sexual offender. As long, as long as you do the perfect job of pl- trying to plug your iPod Nano in to the computer that they have, but it doesn't. Wait, hold on. It doesn't work. Hold on. It doesn't. Work. Okay, there's the do you beat. Have USB three. Yeah, I... I'm a super fun guy. I'm very cool. I can't go within 500 feet of the nearest school. <laughs> then you sprint. You're out good of the room. at these, Greg. I'm going to give you another point. It's too late, Kate. It's over. I already lost. My parents yeah, are going to no. find out and they're going to freak. My name is Greg yeah. and I'm here to say here's a lot of uh, forums that you should read about me moving into your neighborhood because it's dangerous for your children. I mean, I guess if we're going to um, if we're going to do some raps, then perhaps uh, we kind of lock into you guys talking about your websites. And can, how, do you have any um, do you have any raps ready to go for your or patreon.com backslash your pop filter or maybe even your pop backslash Amazon? Nope. I think you just did that. You did the ad. Okay. So. Okay. Yeah. No, I covered that one for you guys. Seamless too. They're not even going to know yeah, they, they heard t- an ad. <laughs> Idiots. Um, <laughs> They're just lapping it up like dum dums. I think this is part of the regular <laughs> show. It's not. We're advertising to you right now, idiots. Um. Okay. You guys want to talk about your other shows? Yes. Cool, I thought somebody Mike, else would jump it. in. Superhero show show. Uh, if you're like, this is what? What are you, you making that face for, Ryan? Why would somebody else jump in if you? It, she said, "Do you want to tell me about your other shows?" And you said, "Yes." You thought I don't know. You, how you said yes. I said yes. yes, and you say end. We would uh, never interrupt each other on this show. That's, that's not a thing we do, bro. Promises. Uh, yeah, go to the superhero show show. Rate, review, subscribe, listen to if you want to hear a different woman berate Ryan and I. <laughs> that's what that show's all about. <laughs> is that? Is that? Is this? We the did end? it. Yeah, that's we it. did a really good, good job. You guys did a really good job. You did a great job. Do we think that this movie has a chance? If if we did a twenty twenty bracket, do you think it has what it would take to take down movies like The Five Bloods and The Sound of Metal? Honestly, there are movies that we've done so far. Like we, like this is just like we haven't even entered Way the back. season yet, right? Like we're just yeah. doing Emma. these extra episodes. Just doodling. 
Um, but even based on us being like, it was good. I think we moved ourselves up to it was good yes. plus. It elevated uh, my esteem of this movie, talking to you three intelligent folks. I could see this making the Elite Eight for reals. And maybe that's because we're movie nerds. Maybe that's because we just back up whatever uh, straight white male protagonists do in a movie. Hell but, yeah. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for <laughs> such a good opportunity <laughs> to be Represent. like, I'm wrong. But uh, I, I, I think, supported anything else he said. I think it has a chance to make the Elite Eight and then get fucking decimated. Yeah, it's kind of, yeah, that's, yeah. Its fate is to get absolutely eradicated by a much better movie. Yeah, because if you remember, Birds of Prey also came out this year. So fuck you, Mike. Oh, also, Birds I think. Birds of Prey. <laughs> Finally, a movie about women. I think Birds of Prey or Finally. The Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. Um, I do uh. think we'll make the Elite Eight as well. I have talked to Mike <laughs> and Greg, my two good friends. Um, it's a good movie, Ryan. It's I'm, a good movie. I'm pretty sure that that piece of shit will make the Elite Eight. Look, I I, am it's a good movie regardless movie. if I have at least one of the characters tattooed on my body. Here's the thing. <laughs> I think that one, I think that Harley Quinn, Quinn will make the uh, comedy bracket. The elite, or like, I think that it will go far in the comedy bracket. I don't think the movie's making the movie bracket. Can we just have yeah. one Harley Quinn in these brackets, please? No. All right. Shut up. Can we tell, have one Harley Quinn in my bed? <laughs> <laughs> I want to thank you guys so much for letting me, let me try hosting this. Hey, it was, thanks a it lot. It was a really, really fun time. It was a very cool opportunity. Kate, where can we find you? Huh? Where can we find you? Um, you can find me um, on Instagram at kate.dellis.funny.kind. Um, <laughs> you, can, <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at kate underscore dellis. I am inactive on both currently because I watch the Netflix documentary, The Social Dilemma. <laughs> Um, but I will be back eventually when I'm scared when that people have forgotten me. Yeah, yeah. you're going to miss a bunch um, of my tweets. I, that, <laughs> yeah, man, I every day, that's like Dude, several I tweets. Know. <laughs> I know. Are you sure you're okay with not being up to how Greg and his cats are doing? <laughs> Just one you know, cat, you dickhead. Oh, you know so my so other sorry. cat died, you I'm jerk. I'm so sorry. Rest I in also peace. want to plug an impending project under the Pop Filter family umbrella. Oh, yeah. Um, you know the way that family share one um everybody gets a little I, uh, it's a very big no it's a very big one and lots of little family um and not that way <laughs> lots of little family sort it's of gathering my umbrella family yeah uh i would like to plug movie of the genre coming soon to theaters near you it's going to be hosted by myself and our dear sounds good Tompkins Tompkins sounds bad uh, sounds less good <laughs> yeah it's going to be all about revisionist westerns this season and I think it's oh, going to cool. be really good and really interesting and we're going to have some great people on so uh, so look out for that because it'll your be show's not going to become more popular than our show is it that would be awkward I we have to we'll see it's yeah. same umbrella Greg it all counts <laughs> We're just one of the tiny little families huddling under this umbrella. All umbrellas rise. <laughs> <laughs> Okie dokie. Do we do any uh, goodbyes? Yeah, just say goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye, everybody.